Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. The passage that we just read in John 14 reports the words that Jesus Christ shared with his disciples in the upper room. In the upper room, Jesus had just finished sharing bread and wine with his disciples. He had just finished washing their feet. And now he was about to be captured and crucified, and he was offering himself for his disciples and for all of us. And he was... As he was doing that, as he was preparing himself, as he was facing the last moments of, and the last few hours of his ministry on earth, that particular aspect of his ministry, he was now sharing his, basically, his final teachings, his final thoughts with the disciples. It it was an extremely important moment in all of history. And the message that Jesus Christ has given us and to his disciple and through them to us, it's also just as important because he gives that, it has that that weight of the final teachings of the master, the final words that the Lord Jesus Christ himself wanted to leave, the final recommendations, the final encouragement, the final instructions. And it is so fundamentally important that we can't possibly miss what he said. And as we look at these words, we look at how he began. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let me be very frank with you. There is a lot of baggage that goes into that. We hear so much about love, but we don't really understand what that means. We hear so much about God's commandments, but we don't really seem to realize what they are all about. And so we misunderstand it, we misconstrue it, we, we use it and we try to go about it the wrong way. And it doesn't work. But this passage, these few words that Jesus Christ, among many other words that he shared with the disciples, but these words that he shared with them will help us to understand, will help us to reframe those things in the proper context, will help us to understand what God is really calling us for and really asking of us and for us. So allow me to put it in a context. In the context I'm referring to today, it's not just the context of this immediate passage, it's also the context of the letters of John. John was inspired to record these words of Jesus in a certain way. But if we look at what John was also inspired to write in his letters, perhaps we can understand what he means with his words as well. And I would like to begin by looking at 1 John 
4.9, which states, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we may, have so we may live or have life through him. I don't know if we really grasp and understand this yet. I know that on occasion we have talked about it. I know that we try to stress it and address that. But sometimes I think it takes a long time to really grasp it. So bear with me a second as we go back to bring it in the proper context again. Before the world was, God is. Before the world was, God is. He is the great I am, the one who exists in and by himself. He is the one who always was, always is, and always will be. He is the one of whom Jesus said, referring to the Father himself and the Holy Spirit, before Abraham was, I am. And I can say, before the world was, God is. But then we also read that God is love. Now keep that in mind. God is love, and that love is always manifested as a giving of oneself for the benefit of others. The Father, who is infinite in all of his attributes, the Father who has infinite love, gives all of himself to the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son, who's also God, whose also attributes are infinite, he gives all of himself infinitely in his love to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives himself fully, completely, infinitely, basically, because his attributes are infinite as well. He gives himself fully to the Father and to the Son. And so when you see that, a complete, total giving of oneself to the other, and it's reciprocal, how that can only be one? I know, I'm stretching your mind. But you see oneness in that love, oneness in that pouring out of himself for the other, oneness in the giving of oneself but then God chose to extend that perfect love outside of himself. Okay, that perfect life is existing within God. It's always been existing, always is, and always will be. But somehow, in some way, and I'm again tempted to say at some point in time, but time was not created yet, so please forgive me. God chose to extend that perfect love outside of himself. And so what did he do? He created he brought into existence things that did not exist before. He made things that weren't there before. He created. And although we knew that we would become or be hostile to him, he still created all things for us as an expression of his love. And he made us in his image and likeness as an expression of that love. Because he wanted us to relate to him, to be at one with him, and to be part of that sharing of that love. Just look around for a moment. And I'm not talking about just this room. Although you look around in this room and you already see a lot of things. But look around in general. Look around in this world. Look around in this creation. Look around your, your environment. And what do you see? That everything that God created, everything that God made, was made and created in such a way that it would sustain your existence. And look at how far God has gone in that. He created a renewable environment where you don't need to constantly create water so that water is available for us. It's renewable, self-renewable, self-sustaining, so that this environment, which is self-renewable and self-sustaining, would sustain your life. But not just sustain your life, 
It would also tell you some things about God and his love for you. Look at the child. But that's not even go that far. That can be complicated, not because children are complicated, but because it is so immensely awesome. But look at the flower, supposedly simpler. Did God need to create the flowers the way he did? He could have caused the bumblebees to be attracted by who knows what, to pollinate or cross-pollinate them. Or he even could have created in such a way that you don't need the bumblebees to cross-pollinate them and, and they go ahead and reproduce and grow whatever, in however different, many different ways. But he created the flowers not just functional. He created the flowers beautiful so that you can go outside and be inspired by the beauty of creation and be inspired to think about the beauty of God and the beauty of what he has done for us, not just for our physical survival, but for our spiritual well-being as well, for our meditation, for our rejuvenation. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. I hope you have. Jesus did. And what did he experience? Many different things. But one thing I'm referring to is the fact that when he was exhausted, when he was drained, he would isolate himself in God's nature, in God's environment, and recharge himself through his fellowship with God in a place that God had created to sustain that, to encourage that, to inspire that. Sometimes we talk about the mountaintop experiences. Why? Because you go on the top of a the mountain, there's so much beauty, so much, uh, so much to inspire us that we feel like, wow, Lord, did you actually create all of this for us? But that's just the beginning of the story, and I don't want to take too much time on that. Because even before the world was made, it has already been established that the Logos, who later became Jesus Christ, would die for us. You see, God did not just give us creation. God did not, just give us, did not just give us an environment. He gave us himself. Before he even created anything, he had already given himself for us. And Jesus was about to fulfill that immense act of love as he addressed the disciples here with these words that we're looking at today in John 14. So keep that in mind as the background of what we're looking at here, or what we're reading and learning. And then look at verse 20 of John 14. As we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become one with him. Notice that. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I'll read it again. Pay attention. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is fully man as well as fully God. He is the only way we can connect with God. And you know why? Because he is the perfect point of connection between God and humans. Why? Because he is both. He is perfectly God and he's perfectly human. He is fully God and fully human. And in him, we have that connection with God that otherwise we would not have. We could not have because God is God and we are only human. We are mortal, limited. God is immortal infinite, unlimited in his attributes and characteristics and so on. Well, as we are at one in Christ, you see, there's the humanity connecting with Christ because of his humanity. We are at one in him, but Christ is not just human, he's also God. So we are also at one with God. And that's what makes the Jesus Christ, the perfect point of connection between us and God. When we're converted, we become one with Jesus. We are in him and he is in us 
And because he is one with the Father, we're also, in Jesus, connected with the Father. And that's quite awesome in itself. And now this verse 18 now. Because Jesus promised that he would not leave us as orphans, did he? The disciples were about to be, to be exposed to a great trial. I don't know if you realize the intensity of that moment, but they had their hopes. They were longing to see the kingdom of God restored in Israel in a certain way. I know they were wrong in the way they're looking at it. I know they were wrong in thinking that Jesus was a, a Messiah like the Jews expected, a Messiah that will free them from the Roman uh, invader and, and the Roman control and restore the kingdom of Israel that, at that time. They did not quite understand that Jesus Christ had a much, much, much greater purpose. But nevertheless, notice what happened here. They were to be exposed to a great trial because as they had all these expectations, they were about to see their master, their savior, because they had confessed him to be Messiah. They were about to see him captured, beaten, humiliated, scourged, and then crucified and killed. And I don't know if you realize the, the kind of trial that that can be when all of your hopes are set in that, and you see they're going that way. It's heart, not more than heartbreaking, it just, it, 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 it caused them to scatter, to disperse. And it caused Peter to deny Jesus three times. But verse 18, not as though Jesus told them, you may think that things are lost. You may think when you see all these things happening and, and, and occurring, you may think that everything is lost, that everything is gone, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I don't know how, how these words must have echoed in the hearts and minds of the apostles and the disciples when they saw Jesus Christ dead and they had this promise of Jesus, I will come to you. It helps us to remember one thing, that God does not stop loving us no matter what. And his love will always be with us. Remember Romans 8 and verse 38, it says, For I am convinced that neither death, that must have meant something for them at that time, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, not even the struggle that we go through with, not even the trials that we experience, not even the pain that we experience, not even the exhaustions that we experience, not even the criticism that we get, not even our own self-criticism, nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, think about that for a second, though. He promised, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, because not even death, not even his death, can separate us from his love. In fact, it was an expression of that love. Now, look at verse 16 and 17. Notice that. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in them at Pentecost. And from that time on, in all the believers, in all the people who are converted, all the people who have given themselves to Christ as Christ gives himself to us. But notice, the Holy Spirit is to be with us forever. You know how long forever is? The Holy Spirit is to be with us forever. It doesn't say, he'll be with you for 10 minutes. It doesn't say, he will be in you until you mess up really badly. It doesn't say, he will be in you as long as 
you act this way or you are this way or you do this or that. It says it will be in you forever. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do in us? A lot of things, many things. But one in particular I want to concentrate on is given to us by 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that says, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them, notice, you may be partakers of the divine nature. I'm going to read it again. You may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Oh, wait a minute. And now it begins to take shape. So stay with me, please. It tells us to escape the lust of the world. How? Because of the nature of God that we are made partakers of. How? Through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit in us. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in us. It becomes one with us. It gives us the very nature of God is in us. And that enables us to escape the lust of the world. Pay attention to that. We are totally incapable a loving period. We're totally incapable of loving. When we look at love in the definition that the Bible gives of love as a giving of oneself for the benefit of the others, we are incapable of doing it. We're always looking for something we get out of it. And we are particularly incapable of loving the way God does. When we try to produce it, it's not really love. It's some form of lust. We usually try to produce it because it's a good thing for us. It's kind of an oxymoron. It goes the other way around. We try to produce it because we want to fill in the blank, receive something from that, look that in a certain way, come across in a certain way. It's about us, and it becomes a form of lust in that way. When we try to imitate it, when we try to imitate the love of God, it's not the real thing. It turns, in, it turns into some form of legalism. We end up trying to imitate the love of God by doing some things. And therefore, we misunderstand the very first verse, verse 15, of the passage that we read today in John 14. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, we misunderstand that, and we try to imitate the love of God, and therefore we say, okay, i got to keep the commandments so that I can produce this love for God. It's not going to work. In fact, it's going to stress you out so much, you're going to be so drained, you're going to be so consumed, you're going to be so exhausted, you're going to be so worn out, so spent, that you're going to die and still not be there. But praise God that we have His love in us, and that that love, His love, is what then flows from us like rivers of living water and enables us to love God above all things, including ourselves, above ourselves as well, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But did you notice what I just said? Did you notice that I just quoted the two great commandments that Jesus Christ gave in answer to the Pharisees, asking him, what, are the great, what is the great commandment in the law? And didn't he say that those two commandments are the fulcrum, the hinge of the whole law? Upon these, the whole law is based, love for God and love for one another? They are not a matter of law. They are not a matter of legalistic observance. They are the expression of the very love of God in us. As humans, still affected by our carnal nature, we don't know how to express the love of God, do we? Even though it is in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in us, we just don't know how to express it. So in a way, we get on our knees, or maybe we bow down completely, and we say, Lord, how can I express your love toward you toward my neighbor without exhausting myself, without consuming myself in a futile attempt to produce it myself. How can I do that? 
Notice in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Did you notice that? If you look at it in the context of what God has taught us through Scripture, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And now look at verse 21 of John 14, our passage for today. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Can you see that? That keeping his commandments is not a matter of legalistic works? Can you see that keeping his commandments is not a matter of doing things? It is not even our work, but in reality it is the work of God in and through us. It is an expression of his love that flows from him to us by the Holy Spirit that fills us in, 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 with the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and his very nature in us. And that very nature in us then flows from us to him and to the neighbor. So then why is it that we exhaust ourselves? Because our human nature keeps pulling us. It keeps pulling us to try to do it ourselves. And as we try to give ourselves selflessly, we drain ourselves because we really don't have it in us to be able to do that. Keeping of his commandments is not a matter of works, not even in that way. It is a reflection of our connection with him, or better yet, an outcome, an expression of our abiding in him and him abiding in us. And therefore, the first thing we want to do, especially when we are drained, especially when the love doesn't seem to be in us, the first thing we need to do is to stop, connect again. What did Jesus Christ do when he was exhausted? What did Jesus Christ do when the crowds were gathering around him and asking him for more, 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 more? Because that's the way we are, aren't we? God, here's my list for the day. I want, I want, I want, I want. It sounds like a Santa's list. And Jesus was exposed to that because the crowds were gathering around him and they wanted the healings, they wanted food, they wanted the, this, they wanted the help in that. They wanted to, to listen to him and feel good and others wanted to find the truth about God and wanted to connect with God. But nevertheless, there was such an incredible demand on him and him as human would get drained. So what did he do? He said, go ahead, I'll catch up with you later. Notice what he says to the world. Go ahead, I'll catch up with you later. Man, I wish I could learn that lesson because I am still tempted not to do that. I am still tempted to say, oh, wait, 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 don't run too far ahead because I'm going to miss something. Jesus said, guys, go ahead. World, go ahead. I'll catch up with you later. And you know what he would do? He would spend time with the Father. Yes, Jesus Christ himself had to spend time with the Father to recharge himself, to, re to refresh himself, to restore himself so that he could be a full expression of the love of God. Notice what he said about the Father. Whatever he tells me to, I do. Did he do it because he was doing something legalistic? No. He was doing whatever the Father told him to do because that was an expression of the love of the Father in and through Christ. It was an expression of the love of Christ for us. And in the same way, it is an expression of God's love in us when we give through his commandments. So keeping his commandments is an expression of the love of God abiding in us as he abides in us and we abide in him. 1 John 3.24 says, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. He knows by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You see how that works out? He who loves, he who keeps his commandments, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandment. And then he said, if you keep my commandments, then you love me, right? 
So now John in the letter actually says the one who keeps his commandments is the one who abides in him. And the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us as an expression of God's love. So then the very keeping of his commandments is nothing more than just that, an expression of the love of God in us. That love that we don't know how to express, that love that we don't know how to handle. So God gives us those instructions. God gives us those commandments to teach us how that love is expressed. Not to teach us to do stuff so that we can be loved by God, but to teach us how that love of God in us is expressed because we have no clue. It's not natural to us. 1 John 4.12, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So now here he gives us the idea that as we love, as we express that love to one another and to God above all things, his love becomes more and more expressed in us. We are more and more in tune with that expression. We learn to do that more and more, better and better. In other words, we learn to allow his love to flow in us like rivers of living water indeed. And you know what? It does take a step of faith, however. Perhaps the most difficult step of faith of all. And that step of faith is not do it yourself. But listen to what God says, and then just do it. Not because you want to earn something, because that would be motivated by self-centeredness. Not because you want to score points with God, because that would be selfishness. Not because you want to get anything from anything on anyone, because that would be self-centered love, which is not the love of God. But just simply as an act of trust, Lord, I don't know how to love the way you do. I don't know how to express it the way I'm supposed to. So I'm going to back off and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to follow your instructions. I'm going to trust you because you know what? Remember what we said at the beginning? how much God loves you. He loves you so much that he created all of creation so you can be sustained, so that you can be okay, so that you can be well. He loves you so much that even before he created anything, he gave himself for you already. So guess what? God wants the best for you. And you can trust, and I can trust, that God will see us through. God is taking care of us. God has not abandoned us. He has not left us orphans. He has not left us abandoned. God is taking care of us. We're in his hands. We are his precious possession. Scripture says we are the gems of his crown. And he's going to take care of us, so I don't have to worry about myself. I don't have to worry about my performance. I don't have to worry about anything but one thing. Lord, you teach me how to express your love. And God says, here's what you do. So what do we do? Relying on God, relying on his love for us, relying on the, on the majesty and the, and the immensity of that desire that God has to give himself to us, we are now secure in that, and we take that step of faith and we say, Lord, I want to do this not because I get something out of it. I want to do this not because I gain your favor through that, but because I already have your favor, because I can rely on your love, I'm going to do this as a sheer act of obedience and faith so that I can learn through practice what it means to allow your love to flow from me. And so we take the plunge. We take that step. And we do what God tells us, not out of self-interest. We do what God tells us out of love. His love to be expressed in us in faith that even though we don't know how to do it, God does, and he will do it in us. So we follow his instructions, and as we do that, we see the love of God blossoming in us in a way that we never expected, in a way that we never even dream of. And oftentimes, it wouldn't be strange for us to look back and say, whoa, Lord, I used to be way there. You carried me quite a bit. I thought it was going to be a little step, but look, whoa, what a huge step it was. 
How else do you think that a, that a hit list could turn into a prayer list? How else do you think that we, we can love our enemies? As God teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, don't just love your friends. Everybody can do that because that's self-centered. It's out of self-interest. But Jesus says, love your enemy. You know why? Because your father does. Oh, you see that? Again and again and again, it confirms that it's an expression of the love of God in us. It is his love coming into us, filling us and flowing from us. And so we are even able to love our enemies. Not because we try and make it, not because we are better than others, but because God loves them in and through us. But it's a step of faith. The step of faith it means we give up ourselves. We give up trying ourselves, but don't stay static and don't go back. We take the step of faith that says, Lord, I don't know how to do it, but you do. So I follow your instructions so you can teach me how to be like you, how to love the way you do. So when life strikes you with trials, when you're confronted with the reality of Jesus' instructions to love your very enemy, when, when loving it seems so impossible, remember what we learned today. Remember, first of all, and take the time to do that. Take the time to do that. Let us, let us take time out when it's necessary, and don't worry about the world crumbling, because Jesus said to the world, go right ahead, I'll catch up with you later. And you know what? He can still catch up today. Remember that the Lord loves you. Remember how he has given himself for you, not to test you, not to destroy you, not to worry, wear you out, not to consume you, but to build you up, to fill you up, to give you an abundant life that springs forth in rivers of living water for everyone around you. God has created you to be a blessing. God has created you to be a living testimony, a living testament, a walking blessing for everyone around you. And he's given himself for you so that that would be possible. So it would be possible for you to be at one with him, to be connected with God. Remember that nothing can ever separate you or us from the love of God, not even yourself. So when everything seems to be crumbling down upon you, remember that. Take time to think about it. Don't, don't haste. Don't hurry, because hurry and haste will not produce it. Just rest in him. Allow him and his love to reassure you in his presence. And remember that nothing, not even yourself, can ever separate you from the love of God. Then, as you rest reassured in his love, and you are filled with his grace, and you realize how deep and profound his life for you really is, then let the Spirit rest in you. And as you rely on the Lord in faith, knowing that he has good plans for you and loves you so much, then take that step of faith, prayerfully act in a loving way according to his commandment, not to put on a performance, but to allow his love to be expressed in you. His love, not yours, expressed in you. Then watch and see that the love of God will pour out indeed like a, a river of living waters. And watch people being blessed. And watch God connect with you even more. And watch his love develop and flow in you so that you will be more and more like him because that's our calling to be like him to be connected with him to be at one with him so may the lord bless you may the lord be in you may he bless you with grace with his grace may he fill your heart with his love with his peace with his reassurance and then may that love overflow from you as a blessing to everyone around you and as a worship to god the father and the Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as an expression of 
gratitude and love to him, first of all, and above all, and through that, to one another. Amen.